This story is my own. Oh, jeez, every time. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That was amazing. Wow. Like it or not, you, me, and everyone else, we all have a relationship with money. And for the most part, it's a complicated one. My name's Sean Maslick. Welcome to the Most Hated F-Word Podcast. As a certified financial planner, I want to take you on a journey as we throw out the technical finance books and shift our focus towards our minds, our money, and what matters most. If you're looking to improve your relationship with money and build true wealth, you're in the right spot. Finances does not need to be the most hated F-word. This episode is pure magic, and that is not just clickbait. You're about to hear a conversation between myself and Karan Matthews about her story, her money story. Karan is a chartered accountant turned money coach. She helps women improve the relationship with money and create healthy financial habits through guidance, support, education, and accountability. She has created the debt freedom system to show clients that they don't need to be so hard on themselves about money and money problems. She shows people how you can get serious about tackling your debt without constantly kicking yourself. And she's confident, and so am I, that she's here to help. But who is Karen? Fortunately, I've got to meet her on a deeper level than what her website in her bio says. And I can tell you, she is an amazing powerful and inspiring woman. I met her a couple months ago and during the past few months I've been fortunate to have some very powerful conversations around money and her money story. Karen's story is inspiring and on today's show we have a special guest, Rootub, who joined me on episode number six of the podcast, which I highly recommend called Time vs. Money. For a recap, who is Rootub? Rudab has been traveling the world, utilizing music to heal and uplift spirits for almost two decades. In 2013, Rudab made a change. He began exploring singing and playing music alongside yogis. Through stream of consciousness lyrics and on-the-fly melodies and rhythms, Rudab helps create a space unbound by time and attachment, which is so conductive to healing. Rudab creates what we call financial instant anthems. Rudhub and I have been calling these your abundance anthem. And today, Rudhub listens to my conversation with Karan and creates and sings an amazing song right on the spot. And this is only possible because of Karan's ability to be transparent and open and share her story with Rudhub. It's truly magical. I promise you when you listen to this entire episode and hear the song at the end, it will move you. Rudhub and I have been doing these sessions and we call them, as I mentioned earlier, the Abundance Anthem. So why are Abundance Anthems, or music, so powerful? Because music really appeals to the subconscious and it really compels people to act. And it's because it forms this emotional connection. Music is powerful. It's an invisible tool that helps us achieve our goal. And in this case, we're using it to help us achieve our abundance anthem, our financial abundance destination. Rudhub's song is an expression of controllable elements that help influence the way people interpret their money story. The abundance anthem gives people the opportunity to tell their story in a different way. Further, this abundance anthem increases the intrinsic value of our story, our money story, by engaging us at that emotional and subconscious level. I'm so excited for you to hear this conversation and amazing song at the end with my guest, Rudhub, who is purely magic, and Karan, who is so open to investigating her story and really, really living into her new chapter in her story and her money story. And I urge everybody to go check out her website at pocketbrook.com where she has some valuable content. You can find her on Instagram and all the other social media outlets that I will include in the show notes. Before we get into the episode, you will notice that the episode jumps right into a conversation and that's because 
Maybe I was just too excited and I forgot to push that little red button, the record button, at the start of our conversation. So we missed about five minutes of the opening of this conversation. However, we still have a great conversation that I'm so excited for you to hear and this amazing abundance anthem at the end. I was not, I was not the type of person or it wasn't my, I guess, destiny in life to be one of those people that didn't have that relationship with money. I was not one of those people that could have a positive relationship with money, that I would always be in lack and not knowing, you know, where I was going to get, how my next bill, how my bills were going to be paid or that sort of thing. So even as I grew up and I, but like I mentioned to you, even from a child, Remember I told you I don't remember things in visual pictures, but mm-hmm. I remember how I felt. So from a very, very young age, I remember feeling rejecting that notion that I couldn't have a good relationship with money. Right. So even though so so I believed it began my behavior into you know early adulthood, later adulthood reflected those beliefs that my parents passed down to me. But deep down, I guess my subconscious mind, my heart didn't believe it and always rejected the notion. But I, but the thing is, I was afraid to actually believe what my heart was saying or my subconscious mind was saying because I didn't have the evidence to prove me otherwise, right? I didn't have the evidence with my parents, with my aunts and uncles, friends around me, that I could have a positive relationship with money, that I could actually not think twice about buying something. Right. So even as I became qualified and I moved abroad and I studied and I got my designation and I made my way up the corporate ladder and I was doing well, I hid that from a lot of people because then, you know, I would be I wouldn't belong because a lot of a lot of people in my circle subscribed to the same thing, that there was never enough money. And oh, my God, and where are we going to get money? And who can afford that? And oh, must be nice must be nice to do that. must be nice to go on vacation twice a year. must be nice to like, you know, buy a big home. must be nice to drive a nice car, right? And so even though I could financially, I, I no longer financially fit into that group or that narrative, I continue to pretend like I did. And mm. I actually ended up sabotaging a lot of the, the money that I had come into by way of a good salary and bonuses because then what I did was, which I learned from my mom, I completely embodied the savior syndrome. So I was like, okay, I felt like it was my duty because I was making good money to save everybody. So mm. I became the go-to person. You know, if somebody even in conversation, they're like, oh gosh, you know, I really need to do this, but I can't afford, I was like, tell me how much it is. Tell me how much it is. And so that's what I did. So even though I was earning six figures and getting six figure bonuses, I was giving it all away. And I even found myself in, you know, over $50,000 of credit card and line of credit debt in my late twenties, because it had gotten so bad that my regular paycheck was not enough to, to, to satisfy the, the offerings I had made to everyone because I felt like, you know what, remember I, remember I mentioned this to you, financial survivor guilt, that's mm-hmm. what I had, right? So I felt like I was doing so well and so many people around me weren't, and so, but why me? Because this is not the same, like this is not what I grew up seeing. This, this, you know, I was that little girl seeing my mom and my dad struggle with money and say all these negative things about money. And I'm like, yeah, so this is not me. This, this, is, this doesn't happen to people like me, right? This must be a fluke. It won't last. Mm. And so it became a self-fulfilling prophecy, mm-hmm. right? And so, yeah, and it was when the turn came for me when I was, <clears throat> I'd been struggling with the debt for about two years and I was I had so much I felt like a complete fraud because there I was a qualified accountant managerial position making good money dealing with numbers every day 
and I couldn't get, I couldn't get a handle with money, with my money. And the thing too, one of the biggest, okay, before I get to that, so I couldn't get a handle on my money. And so for two years, I was in this cycle of like, like deep, deep, deep shame about it. I didn't tell my husband who I'm married to now, and we were, we were just dating at that point. I didn't say anything to him. I grew more and more distant. I withdrew from friends, from family. I always blamed it on, oh, I'm just so busy with working. I'm so stressed out with working. And then one day when I was talking to one of my closest girlfriends, like she mentioned something about struggling with that as well. And I guess <laughs> my heart, my subconscious mind can take it anymore. And I was like, oh my God, like I'm so embarrassed to say this, but I've been, I've been in complete hell for the last couple of years. And she, she was surprised because I was the, you know, the go-to money person, like, like mm-hmm. numbers person, the one who always had it together. And she was like, what? And anyways, I rambled on and on and on about, you know, like how, how much of a failure I felt like and a fraud. And, um, you know, there I was at my job pretending to be an accountant because at that point, even though I had the designation, I felt like I was fake. I felt like I was faking it mm-hmm. because I was in this constant mental cycle mm-hmm. of, you know, look, look, you know, look at where you are, look at, you know, like, are you sure you're really an accountant? Like, or is that a fluke as well? Like, it was just, it was really, really bad. And so she was, she had been on her own, this friend, as I finally um, told, she had been on her own, I guess, mindfulness journey for a few years prior to us having that conversation because she actually, she was like one of the top real estate agents in the city. And she was literally for like five or six years, she lived on a diet of like bagels and Red Bull. And her body finally crashed and burned. And she ended up in the hospital and she decided to change her entire life. So she literally went from like the badass kind of top agents under 30 in the city, real estate agents under 30, to like being, you know, like this yogi type person and, you know, and, 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 and using like essential oils and teas and breath work and meditation and all that sort of stuff. And she, so she said to me in that moment, she was like, so she's like, you're one of the most giving people, one of the, you have one of the biggest hearts out there. And she's like, how, what are you doing for your heart? What are you doing for yourself? Like, what are you extending the same grace and kindness and compassion to yourself that you give to me, that you give to, you know, my partner, um, to, to, to your family, to your friends? She's like, are you doing? She's like, because I'm not hearing that. I was like, well, I was like, compassion, kindness. I'm like, did you just hear what I said? I I'm a fraud. I'm a fraud out here. Like I am, I can't get a hold, like control of my money and, 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 and the debt. And here I am like doing like financial reporting for like hundreds of millions of dollars. And I'm petrified. I said, and I'm not going to give myself that excuse. That just sounds like an excuse that I'm giving myself. And she's like, no, it's not. It's not an excuse. It's you just being kind to yourself, giving yourself a break. Cause she's like, you've been in this house for two years. What has it done for you? Has it helped you get out of that? Because in those two years, I would pay down a lot of it. And then within a couple months, it was like right back to where it was. And so that's when she was like, she encouraged me because I was very resistant. I was committed to crucifying myself, right? And so it took some time, but she just said to me, she's like, Karen, you need to read and understand what practicing self-compassion looks like. And of course I did the reading or whatever, and I was looking for a quick fix. Cause I'm like, all right, okay. Cause at that point I was desperate. And so the more I read and the more I understood that practicing self-compassion, it doesn't, it's not excusing yourself. It's literally just allowing yourself to be upset or disappointed or angry or whatever, but still create, but still extending grace and kindness to yourself so that you can create the space to actually take action. Right. And so what the, like I shared with you, 
But when I tried starting to implement it, my ego, my conscious mind was like, yeah, okay, Karen, sure. Okay, all right. You're forgiving yourself. <laughs> you're being kind to yourself. Whatever, you're still $52,000 in debt. <laughs> and what, what are you going to And you've gone down this road before where you, you know, paid off about like half of it. And here we are, six months later, at the same place. And then, and then of course, I was reminded of where I came from and I found myself still saying the things that my parents would say, but I stuck with it. So, and it took me some years, it took me several years to actually, well, not several years, it took me, it took me several months to actually start like believing what I was saying to myself, right? And once mm. I did, listen, like I, I was able to take action from a place of flow because what I didn't understand then was that I was taking action, trying to repay my dad from a place of force, like, come on. You know, like when you scold a child, like mm-hmm. into submission, that's what I was doing to myself with the debt. And it's why it wasn't sticking. Mm-hmm. So once I realized, and even though I didn't fully believe it, part of me did. And so, and I chose to like tune into that part of me that was like, maybe maybe life would be easier if you if you just you know cut yourself some slack and so that's what I did and within like two years less than two years that was fully paid off I like during that time as, as well I, I really immersed myself into all things personal finance I fell in love with the the the, the, the topic the, the the practice um I started investing, you know, like I, I used my accounting, like the skills and practices to like do a bunch of projections. And the more I learned and I tweaked the projections, I was like, wait, so I don't need to retire at 65. I don't need to wait till 65 to retire. And then, you know, and like I dare to see, okay, can I do it at 60? And then at six, I realized, okay, yeah. We can do this at 60 when I, by the time I reach, get to 60. And then that became 58. And then I was like, listen, like I, I have to tell everybody I know about this. So that's when all of my friends would agree and family that you could not shut me up about, because the more I learned and the more I applied what I was learning to my own, because I used myself as a guinea pig, the more I was like, why is nobody talking about this stuff? Right. And so that's when I unofficially began, I guess, my money coaching journey, because I would literally I was working very, very, very long hours. But the one thing I would make time for was counseling friends, family, friends of friends, you know, about their money, because mm-hmm. I just loved it. And I saw the difference in me. I just I wanted everybody to feel the freedom that I was like starting to feel and build. That's what I wanted. I'm like, you, we, we don't have to wait till we're 65. You know, we don't have to. And because so many of us in my circle, like our parents, my mom was poised to work until I think she was maybe 73 or 75. And then unfortunately, she fell ill a few years ago. And because she was not prepared financially, I had to, I, I since then, I've now been the one covering for expenses and thank God I had started preparing financially because I knew this was going to be like a very real possibility. Mm-hmm. Right. And so thank God I had started preparing myself so that it wasn't a shock to my and my husband's finances. Right. And it didn't mean right. us going into a lot of debt and, you know, like depleting all our savings or anything like that. Right. So, mm. yeah. Your, your story is just, such a story, uh, a story I see of acceptance, of moving towards that acceptance and yes. living this yeah. two lives, so to speak, is like I have this undenying belief yeah. inside of me that I, I'm not going to have a money script or belief around money, yes. but yet I'm subscribing to it. Yes. I want to go back to a conversation that we had when you said something that I thought was profound and 
when you came to Canada, you said that we have a choice, like what we're going to do. And you, you said, you know what? I felt like I was just groomed to be an accountant. Yeah. And, and to you, yeah. use your words, you said that your beliefs were like a straitjacket. Why don't you take us back to that, that idea of being like that yeah. illusion of a choice that's groomed to an accountant and that right. straitjacket and what have, and then take us to the other side of that, how that straitjacket has loosened up. Right. So in Trinidad, where I, where I grew up, um, we, our education system is patterned after the British education system because we were once a British colony. And so when you get to, we call it form three, I think the equivalent here for you guys is maybe like grade eight or grade nine is when you're like at about 15, right? And you are, instead of like having exposure to a lot of general things, you're groomed to follow, go, like do focus on specific disciplines, which grooms you for university and, and your work life, right? Mm-hmm. And I excelled both at numbers and also like creative writing, literature, right? And so I remember my literature teacher, she actually, this is funny, she actually, for the first time in the history of the school that I, my high school, gave, like felt that this specific book report that I wrote was, um, was so good, she wanted to give me like bonus points. She didn't want to just give me 100%, she wanted to give me like extra bonus points and they wouldn't allow it. But anyways, and she literally begged and pleaded with my mother. Like she called, she asked for a specific, like a special meeting with my mom to convince me to go into the arts. Because my, I had said, no, I, I, you know, I was like, no, I'm, do, I'm doing, I'm going the business route where it was, the focus was on business and accounting and that sort of thing. And because in my mind, teachers had told me, and I guess, I don't know where I got this narrative from, it must have been teachers had said, or I I had this belief that going the business route was was the safe route. And that was my way out of having the same story as my parents. Because I believed that, you know, that route meant I would always have a job. I'd always be able to create income, right? I didn't have examples of people in the arts that were thriving financially. And my focus as in my child's brain at that point, when I was a teenager, was that you needed to do something that was secure, that you'd always be have a job for and always be like, you would never be without employment. And so that's what I did. And I remember even going back to that, to, to, to that, making that decision. Now that I think about it, I knew then that that's not what I wanted to do. Mm. But I convinced myself. And, and it's so funny because my mom tried to discourage me from doing it because her younger brother was also an accountant and she saw like how rigorous studying for the, pro, like, the designation was. She saw how rigorous the job was lots of long hours and like it was literally around the around the year. It wasn't like just like, you know, a couple months out of the year. You had long hours all the time. And so she tried to discourage me from that. But I was like, nope. Like she said to me, she said, when we were talking about it a couple of years ago, she said, you were just like, no, mommy, I am going to do business. That's what I want to do. And please don't try to stop me. And so she was like, you know, all right, well, you felt so strongly about it. And so, and then, but, but, but the biggest influence in my decision, besides my beliefs that I'd inherited from them, were my teachers. So we're literally groomed. I was literally groomed to be an employee. I was not groomed to be self-employed, right? And so they, you know, because I was getting like the top marks and awards and all this sort of thing in those disciplines, they were like, you, this is what you do because they made the recommendations, right, of what mm-hmm. you should do. And like I explained to you yesterday, we grew, the, the culture in Trinidad, at least when I grew up, we, I mean, teachers were like, you respected your teachers more than you respected your, your parents. Like they held that much authority and influence over you. And so 
that's what I did. Mm-hmm. Because even back then, I was trying to belong and to be accepted. And that was one way of belonging and being accepted, right? Because here I was, because, because at home, I was, because my parents were always so caught up and distracted with money, I realized that I wasn't, I probably wasn't getting the attention that I needed. And so I was getting attention at school because I was always excelling. And so I went where I was getting the attention. And if my teachers said to me, this is the route you should go, then I, I mean, okay, I hear you, mommy, but this is what my teachers say, so that's what I'm going to do, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, and that's what I did. And, and, and before you know it, there I was, I did my degree and applied accounting and, you know, then I did my designation and, I mean, I was working while I was pursuing the designation or to the degree. And I remember always thinking, this is not what they, they not, nobody ever said that it was going to be this, like, <laughs> boring. <laughs> it was this boring or this rigorous or this thankless. Like it, it's thankless, and, I, and and the constant theme throughout from the beginning was, okay, is this it? Like, am I ever gonna feel like? So oh, you, you know, I, I just want to say that's interesting. You make it as a high level training and accountant. I remember from our conversations working 12, 14 hours a day, yeah. getting paid more than you ever thought you're gonna pay. Yes, and you're yeah. thinking to yourself, is this worth it? Yeah, is it this is it? Worth it? Yeah, I, I'm like, is it? I'm like, I used to be okay. Is is this? This is it. Hmm. Like, and you know, this, this, is, this is as exciting as it gets. And so your story is just so fascinating, and it, it, it brings me back to um, what we talked a bit about yesterday, and. Well, more so our first conversation, and then yesterday we we carried on but that inner critic so that inner critic is that one who's talking to us constantly and you shared to me as you started um thinking differently about the the corporate role you had um Mm -hmm. you felt safety though hiding behind your accounting designation and when you looked around that it felt a Mm -hmm. little scary 100 percent. before you go into that could you what would you name that version of karen that inner critic, what would you call her? Like when she starts showing up, if you had to label her or give her a name, what would it be? I would call her, um, obviously that was like my, that was just me wearing a safety vest. Right. Like, like, yeah. But, but, but beneath all of that was, Karen, who didn't think she deserved mm. to be happy and like fulfilled every day and make a lot of money doing it. Mm-hmm. Like those things were mutually exclusive. Mm. Like you, 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 you work and you slave and you, you know, grind away and then you get to retire at 65. Mm. Right. And, you know, no. you say, thank God. If you're able to like buy a house, travel every now and again, that sort of thing. But that was the belief. Okay. So I, I recall us having this conversation about that inner critic telling you that if you're not working those hours, you're slacking and you're, you know, like you yes. said, you prescribed to yes. this narrative that you had to work this much. Yes. Yes. Um, yes. Our last conversation yesterday was a different conversation. You came in yes. with just optimism you you as you said you quieted the inner critic but you also remember we talked about thanking it because our inner critic our inner child got us to the certain point and now we're like i'm taking it from here yeah so let's talk about what shift specifically i know you have a big ambition to work with females with women to empower them with money and we had talked about different narratives that were going in your head being like, okay, I can work with some women, but I'm also going to do yes. this other stuff yeah. that's kind yeah. of hiding behind the, the accounting. Um, safety zone. Safety. Exactly. exactly. But yesterday, I, I, I didn't hear any safety zone yesterday. Well, uh, some, no. but you were, <laughs> talk to us about 
this statement that you said to me at the end of our call is I, I feel free to prosper right now. As you think about this next step of your life, this story, this money story of helping empower women, what Mm -hmm. does empowering women and this belief that you have now is you're ready, you feel free to prosper? So what that means to me is I, I don't want another woman, as much as I can help it, to spend another day another moment, another hour torturing herself into trying to be what she thinks she was groomed to be or that she has to be to um, to meet, I guess, you know, expectations that were put on her, whether it was by society or her family or even herself, her, her younger self that didn't know any better, mm. Right. And, and, and I want women to understand that money is not as complicated as we make it, right? And it's it's literally about not judging our decisions with money. We have we have to get to the place where we can separate the emotion from the information, which is what previous financial decisions, current financial decisions are. And we use and use the information to 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 guide them or guide us to what's actually best for us in terms of aligning our money with our goals, not just our financial goals, but our life goals. Right? So many women that I speak to their thing is, I want to buy a house, I want to buy a house, I want to buy a house. But on the next, in the next breath, they say, you know, their goal is to travel the world and not stay. Because so a lot of younger women are, they don't see marriage and children anymore as the ide- ideal scenario for themselves. They actually want the freedom to roam around the world. And so when you ask, well, so why do you want to buy a house? Like, how does that fit into those plans? And more often than not, they say, well, that's what my parents said I need to do. That's what all my friends have done, you know? And so I just, I want women, really what I want is to empower women to put themselves at the center of their money. That's it. Mm. And to do it before, ideally before those big life commitments come along Mm. because I want them. I want those life commitments to fit around them at the center of their money, not the other way around. Wow. Now tell me uh, as you work towards this and live like you are, you're stepping into it right now, this belief, tell me the role of, acceptance you talked earlier about acceptance oh yes for you personally what significance did acceptance have in your money story about you know you're never ever going to be have enough mm-hmm. or or then you're prescribed this corporate role just tell me what it feels like when i ask you to describe the word acceptance as it is in your story right now i, I mean and and i get to smile genuinely because I have accepted like fully no part of me doesn't believe do I have my moments of doubt of course because I'm human but no part of me of my heart of my mind doesn't believe that I am going to have everything that I would want or have wanted. No part of me doesn't. No part of me doesn't believe it. Does you know that that kind of um, imposter or um, uh, my ego or does it show up? Of course, right. But now I can let it appear, but not let it change my mind. Mm. Right. So even as as I'm saying the words, it's like, you know, I have the thoughts like, 
they still come. Like, who, who do you think you are? Like, but, mm-hmm. but I know, I know now because of the practices, because of the journey I've been on, the inches I've been making year after year by staying committed to that um, voice, that feeling I had as a child that rejected having the same ending or experience as my parents. Because I'm mm-hmm. tuning into that more now and I'm trusting myself to tune into that and believe it. Like, there's just, I get to accept that, okay, you know, I, you know, for a long time, I, I had, I crucified myself. Like, I went through this period of, like, why'd you waste so much time? Because it was 20 years in corporate. 20 years. That's a lot of time. I could have said, you know, actually, I made a promise to myself at 35, because I'm, I'm going to be 43 in June. I made a promise to myself at 35 because I've been tortured by this. I don't really want to be here, but the money's so good. And, you know, I, you know, I have, you know, so many people depending on me. And I made a promise to myself. I said, Karen, when you, by the time you turn 40, you're either going to shut up and just get on with it, stick to the program, or you're going to be doing what you want to do. But you've got, like, I gave myself that deadline mm-hmm. because I, could, I couldn't, I couldn't torture myself anymore. Mm-hmm. And two months, a few months before my 40th birthday, I handed in my resignation. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a solid plan. I, did, I literally, like, honestly, Sean, it was like, I remember the day so clearly. I got up. I knew what I was going to do. I called, my, I called my boss. I said, I need to have a chat with you. I need to have a meeting with you. We got on the call, and because um, I think I was working from home that day. Yeah, we got on the call, and I said, I'm having my resignation. And he was like, excuse me? I'm like, yeah, I'll give you um, six weeks notice, but this is it. And it's what really prompted it, besides the promise I made to myself, like I was tired of having health issues. Because remember I told you for years I mm-hmm. was back and forth mm-hmm. to the doctor and they would run tests and tests and tests. Mm-hmm. Or oh, did we do them? No, we, no. Oh, tests no. and tests and tests. And then I just couldn't, they couldn't figure out what was wrong. And each time the doctor would say, it's because you're stressed, Karen. Mm-hmm. It's the job. And that's, you, that's what it is. You know, it... it I just have this image in my head as you gave that resignation of handed in the stray jacket to use your words. And Oh my God. Yes. Yes. Um, but let me tell you something. There was a lot of fear, a lot of fear afterwards. Like, oh, I bet. WTF, I just do. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so as we come to, to the end here, I, I, I just appreciate your story so much and Thank you. and you could hear the passion. You could hear the trust that you have in yourself. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I think about our stories is we can never remove the past stories. Yes. But we always can alter, modify, or change the meaning we give it. And, yes. And, you know, you talk a lot about um, – just acceptance and perhaps the the older story of Karen, the, the stories you used from your mom were critical to allow you to be where you are today. Mm-hmm. And without them, maybe we wouldn't even be having this conversation. So I, I agree. I agree. I, I now, I appreciate the, the lessons all, that are taught. Yeah. That's who we are. Uh, and then you accepted them and took, took them now but yeah. my last question yeah. for you yeah. and is say you mentioned you're 43 i don't have a calculator sure this is easy math but it's gonna be 43 in june yeah 43 yeah. okay mm-hmm. say we fast forward mm-hmm. out you're 95 years old someone could do the math on that but we don't need to but yeah <laughs> you're 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 95 years old on the most beautiful porch wherever your imagination can take you mm-hmm. perhaps it's in hawaii um you're looking perhaps. <laughs> you're looking back at your life what do you feel would need to have happened for you to say you know what I did it I lived a good life 
I had a fantastic relationship with myself, my money. I did it. What would have to happen from now? Yeah, what would happen like, in that, the next yeah. chapters of your story of your life? I would need to stay committed to believing that I that I that this is what I am destined to have. I would need to continue believing that and continue with my practice and my daily practices um, that have got me here. And I would have had to also, I think, share my story with as many women as possible mm. and actually, like, have them, which, I, you know, I, I'm already experiencing, obviously not on a large scale yet, Mm-hmm. But have that be the evidence, right? Mm. That I didn't go through all of this for nothing, mm. right? I didn't have all these experiences for nothing. And like, I didn't, like, as hard as it was and the torture, and it wasn't for anything. It was so that I could help a lot of other women. Awesome. Sorry. No. Yeah. That's... Because sometimes, sometimes you just feel like, what is, why, why, why me? Why, why did I have to go through that? Mm. Right. So, yeah. yeah. A... These are happy tears. These are happy tears. Yeah. <laughs> there's a lot. There's yeah. a lot of women who are looking forward to hearing your story. Yeah, I know. And you know, it's the, the thing about it is, I. Like something like on social media, when you post on social media, because it's the topic of money, a lot of people, like they don't, I guess, interact the way that they would want to, but then they would private message you mm. and be like, oh my God, like, thank you for talking about this stuff. Thank you for, um, you know, saying the things that I wish I could say or, and, and I just, I want, I want for women to stop hiding and feeling ashamed Mm. That's that's what it is. That's what I want to spare women. Oh. The, the, the torture of the like the torture chamber that is shame. That's what I want to spare them from. Wow. Yeah, that's what I want to spare them from. Yeah, because well. it's not. It's not. Listen, life is too short. It's mm. too short. It's too short. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's it. Well, I, I'm excited to see this story unfold. And <laughs> Thank I, you. I want to express just how much appreciation I have towards you to share your story with me, to share it with Root Hub. Thank um, you. Thank you. And, and like I said, there, there's a lot of women who are going to enjoy, need, and connect to your story. Yeah. So. I, yeah, I believe that. I know that. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah, it's too common, and that's what makes me so sad, uh-huh. that it's so common, you know? It's so common. Well, yeah. now um, we'll, we'll give Root have a, a. Oh my God! Is this? I, I feel like I'm going to cry when I hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it, it just, yeah, it just, it's so nice to be part of hearing someone's authentic story like that. Yeah. Thank and, you. And thank you for creating. Thank you for creating a safe space mm. for me to do that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Beautiful. Yay. Thank you so much for sharing. No problem. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, uh, it's so inspiring to hear your story. Um, thank you. It's so great. So I've been, you know, taking some notes and, um, I think I have a, I think I got it. I think we got it. It's a collaboration. <laughs> yeah, I'm excited. See how it goes. Yeah. Let's see. Not the right chord key. 
Hold on, I can find it. Remember. There it is. There it is. Remember when we used to say it must be nice every single day. Rooted in the fear, passed down by family, all the while rejecting that old identity, all the while rejecting old identity. I'm stepping out from someone else's story. Oh, and I'm learning to stand inside my own. Navigating other people's dreams oh, of what it really means. Oh, sacrificing life to constant business. Is always this really what success is? Oh, is this really what success is? I'm stepping out from someone else's story and learning. Stand inside my own. I'm learning to stand inside my own. Now the call to change my life. My whole life made my head spin. So I I went and turned that gold straight jacket in. <laughs> learned how to really use my wings and as I rise I hear the freedom bells only ring oh the smile that used to be mean from me has blossomed from reprogramming belief oh I'm here for you if you want to know so if you are ready for release, come on, let's go. Oh, if you're ready for release, come on, let's go. I'm stepping out from someone else's story. Oh, learning to stand inside my own. I'm stepping out from someone else's story. Oh, I'm learning to dance inside my own. This is my home. I'm learning to dance. This story is my home. Oh my god. Oh, jeez, every time. Oh my god. Oh my god. That was amazing. Wow. That was. Oh, oh my god. Man. Thank you. I don't even that know how to describe. How? I mean, how? I mean, that's a whole other story, you know, of like how the how I. I want to know your story. That's what I want to know. I want to know your story. Oh my god, that's amazing! Thank you so much. Oh, it's it's, yeah, that's what we're here for, you know. To um, I used to be uh, solely like a. a, 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 There's so much. like uh overlap between your story and like my story of people telling me what i was supposed to be and i was supposed to be this you know pop entertainer um Mm. and do this whole thing and it just never really resonated with me i i was terrified of success you know i wasn't scared of failure i i knew deep down what i am but i was terrified of everybody knowing me and like not being able to walk down the street um and um it allowed me to come to where I am now. Like if I had gone down that path, I probably wouldn't be here with you right now and, yeah. and amplifying other people's stories and right. giving them strength. Like what you're talking about doing with these women mm-hmm. is like part of my, my week in Hawaii, we call it Kuleana. You know, it's like Kuleana. a responsibility now. And so. Right. Right. I like beautiful. that Kuleana. Yeah. Oh, that's the th- listen. This is the thing. We're as cliche as it sounds. We're all so much more alike than we are different. You know. We're just. We're just. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you so much for the show. This was. Oh no! Amazing. Thank you, Rudhab. I I 
I don't know another word other than magical to experience that, Rudolph. Like, that's what he said. That's exactly what he said to me yesterday. And I was like, okay. I was definitely intrigued. But, I mean, <laughs> this, this, was, this was better than I could imagine. Uh, <laughs> I could have imagined. Awesome. We, oh love, we love hearing that. And, um, and okay. I have recorded it on a better, a better device. So I'll have a, a polished up version to give to you. So you can like, you know, you know pump up jams. Oh yeah. This, oh my, I'm going to listen to it every day, every day. <laughs> yeah, I love it. Yeah. Thank you so much. Well, thank, you so Rudup, much. thank you so much for this. And just when you said pump or, uh, listen to it loud, one of the songs that, that you did for us, my son, he's five tomorrow. He swings on this tosser in our garage, and he, he's like, Dad, this is the eye-closing song. And he even knows the lyrics Aww. now. <laughs> so what a gift. I mean, it, it's, it's magical. And, Karen, it, it only gets created because you shared your story. Yeah. But, I mean, this man here just puts it through this magical ears that he has there to come out his voice. It's, just, it's, it's a gift. So thank you. Karen, for sharing your story and Rudolph, thank you for your, your magic. Thanks. I don't have another word. It's magic. Yeah, it is. That's, I mean, it's the perfect word. Sure. Yeah. And it Rudolph, last minute, you, you made this work lately yesterday. Yeah. Thank you so much. Yeah. yeah. Oh, happy to be here for it. Thank okay. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate it. I mean, this is, this is like a, like a picture. What do you call it? Like when they say you take a picture with your memory, mm. like this is, this is one of those moment for me awesome. this one I'll, I'll be able to store visually <laughs> beautiful, beautiful. <laughs> and you'll have it audio as well thank you oh god yeah. yeah oh yes thank you thank you thank you thank you and root up thank you yeah you bet okay all righty all right okay, well, guys. okay bye-bye well what did you think amazing magical i told you Roothub is one talented man. Please head over to pocketbrook.com to see Karan's amazing work. Reach out to her if her story inspired you in any way. If you liked hearing this idea of an abundance anthem and you'd be interested in hearing your own, send me an email and perhaps Roothub and I can jump on a call and create your own abundance anthem. Until next time, have a great day.
Thank you for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed that story. What a fascinating story Axton shared with us. Again, if you've been enjoying this show, please do me a favor. Head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave a review. It means a lot. Until next time, have a great day.